Hi, my name's Les Allen. I'm the facilitator of the Ex-Religious Sport Network here in Melbourne, Australia. And tonight I'm very pleased to have our special guest, uh, Caroline Winsenreed. And Caroline's going to be speaking on the hidden toll of religious trauma. So the description for this talk is mental health professionals are increasingly noticing a pattern of symptoms in both those who have left religion and those who are still practicing that mirror the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2011, Dr. Marlene Winnell coined the term religious trauma syndrome or RTS to give a name to the unique trauma that many face from their experiences with religion. Like PTSD, RTS symptoms sometimes fly under the radar or are attributed to other causes, such as major depression or an anxiety disorder. In this presentation, Caroline Winsenreed will outline how to identify RTS and the hidden toll that it takes even years after leaving a religion. So let me, let me say a little about Caroline. Caroline is a counsellor in Baronia, Victoria, in Australia. She works from an existential humanistic lens with individuals across the lifespan, from adolescent to older adults, on issues including anxiety, depression, and interpersonal relationships. Her areas of special interest include working with religious trauma, and grief and loss. And I must say, I'm particularly excited tonight because I think Caroline, I'm pretty sure Caroline is the first counsellor in Melbourne and possibly in the whole of Victoria that has an interest in religious trauma syndrome. And I'm really pleased to say, uh, I'm really pleased to say that Caroline has been admitted as an accredited counsellor under the Secular Therapy Project, this worldwide project. And that's really, really pleasing. So without any further ado, I'd like to hand over to our special guest, Caroline Winston-Reed. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you, Liz, for the introduction. And thanks everybody for having me here tonight. It's really great to meet y'all and I'm really looking forward to getting to know you tonight. And I'd like to start with um, a little PowerPoint presentation that I've prepared. I might just get that up real quick. Okay, so I'll be talking tonight about religious trauma syndrome and some of the different presentations of religious trauma. This is something that is very close to me personally, and I have a really strong professional interest in it as well. So I'm really excited to be talking to you about this tonight. So I think a good place for us to start is by discussing trauma in a general sense. Colloquially, many of us are probably guilty of describing everyday unpleasant events as traumatic. But what's the difference between something that's traumatic and something that's just really unpleasant? The word trauma might call to mind certain horrific events, such as war, torture, or a natural disaster. But trauma isn't defined by the events that cause it. Trauma can be anything that fundamentally alters our beliefs about ourselves, others, and the world. This can be a singular event, repeated events, or even a long-term situation. 
In very simple terms, our modern understanding of trauma is the experience of long-term cognitive, emotional, physiological, behavioral, and social impairments resulting from a distressing event or situation. So here I have a breakdown of some of the common groups of symptoms. These include flashbacks, anxiety, a hyperactivated nervous system, avoidance, and alienation. These symptoms correspond to several different trauma-related diagnoses. For example, you may have heard of or be familiar with generalized anxiety disorder or a major depression, maybe substance abuse disorders, and I'm sure you've all heard of PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. When people hear trauma, their minds often go straight to this disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder. But I think it's helpful to consider that there are many different presentations of trauma outside of PTSD. Marlene Winnell, an American psychologist, defines religious trauma syndrome as the condition experienced by people who are struggling with leaving an authoritarian dogmatic religion and coping with the damage of indoctrination. While the psychological community recognizes that trauma can be born from several different situations and events, there has been limited discussion of the trauma of leaving a religion. In 2011, Winnell coined the term religious trauma syndrome to address this gap in the mental health world and to create awareness around the trauma of leaving a religion. And some of the symptoms that she outlines here are quite similar to the ones I outlined on the previous slide. There are cognitive effects, emotional, social, and cultural. And I'll give you a minute just to take those in and have a look at those. While religious trauma syndrome is not included as the diagnosis in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, Winnell's framework is helpful because it shines some light on the often invisible struggles of leaving religion. But I want to stress that this is a really complex phenomenon. Trauma takes on many different forms, and especially religious trauma. It's influenced by each person's unique situation. For example, you might have been religious for most of your life until you had a sudden crisis of faith. Or you might have harbored simmering doubts as long as you can remember, in which case your story might be less about a crisis of faith and more about the trauma of coming out to your community. Every story is unique, but there are some common themes that emerge in religious trauma. But we don't have time today to discuss them all in depth. I'd like to give an overview of some of these common themes. I'll be discussing these themes mostly through the lens of Christianity, but I think that many of these themes are applicable to several major religions. I think one of the most universally relatable themes in religious trauma is the intense existential struggle that people can grapple with. Existential concerns that were once taken for granted in the context of one's prior faith can become frightening and hopelessly daunting. Religion has a very clear-cut explanation for our purpose on earth and for what happens when we die. When you leave a religion, you are suddenly unmoored from those meaning-making frameworks and are given the tremendous task of finding these answers for yourself. 
What's more, many people often don't know what information or sources to trust after leaving a religion. You might have had family members, mentors, or friends in your previous faith who you respected and relied on for guidance. It can be really challenging to reconcile that someone whose opinions you trust or once trusted buys into a belief system which feels like a lie. For many people, this feels like a betrayal. Not only is it hard to trust others after leaving a religion, it can be hard to trust yourself too. Discarding these religious meaning-making systems can make people question their own capacity for discerning truth and lies. Some people find themselves in a constant state of introspection, always questioning their own judgments and fearful of any trace of their past beliefs, never sure that their own ideas are really their own. Social relationships are profoundly impacted, not just by the decision to leave a religion, but also by the sudden or gradual disbelief that precipitates this decision. Prior to leaving a religion, many people feel a sense of having to hide who they are. This process is not unlike that of being in the closet for LGBT people. Some people develop a fractured sense of self, the fake person who plays along, pretending to believe, and the real self who no one knows. Even after coming out, many people still experience a lingering sense of social alienation afraid that no one will accept that real self. After leaving religion, many find it difficult to maintain the same relationships with those who knew them when they were religious. A new tension develops within relationships with friends and family who are still religious. They might treat you differently, pretend that you're not really a non-believer, or even ostracize you from social gatherings and communities. What's more, even the secular world can be alienating. In Marlene Winnell's words, some people feel like a fish out of water, learning for the first time how to navigate building friendships and dating in non-religious communities. It can feel like you missed out on a critical developmental period and lack the skills that others have learned, which is a common pattern in trauma. Additionally, the fractured sense of self and the sense of rejection that can come with leaving religion often results in common trauma, common trauma symptoms, such as withdrawing behaviors and feelings of disconnectedness from the world at large. Popular narratives of leaving religion bring the experiences liberating, eye-opening, and final. While these narratives can be really empowering, they can also make it hard to talk about the elephant in the room. Beliefs that you have cognitively rejected, but which still provoke intense and distressing emotional responses. Have you ever found yourself thinking, I know hell isn't real, so why am I still so afraid of it? Or I know that sex isn't anything to be ashamed of, so why do I still feel so ashamed? These confusing cognitive emotional contradictions are hard to talk about because there's often shame attached to them. You might feel like you should know better now that you no longer subscribe to your old religion. You might even feel like you are a bad or fake non-believer for still holding on to some of these things. 
In a paper published in 2019, E. Marshall Brooks described his findings from interviewing a group of ex-Mormons about their experiences leaving the faith. He found that there was a salient theme among participants of intrusive and distressing emotional responses, such as fear, anxiety, and inhibition that didn't seem to go away, no matter how successfully they intellectually rejected the belief systems that rationalized them. He named these cognitively disconnected emotional responses embodied memories. I'd like to share a quote from you with you from his paper that I found to be particularly powerful. It's a traumatic experience, they told me, not only because of all that was lost in their departure from the church, but also because of everything that hung on and refused to go away. In the next couple of slides, I'm going to cover two particularly insidious concepts that often bury themselves into our embedded memories, purity and sin. Purity culture often refers to movement within the American evangelical community, starting in the 90s, that placed a massive moral emphasis on abstinence until marriage. The underpinnings of this movement are by no means limited to this time or community, though. The messages of purity culture are pervasive and come in several different flavors, shaming premarital sex, non-procreational sex, and sex within LGBT relationships, just for example. People exposed to these messages often experience anxiety around sex, sometimes to the point that they feel completely closed off or disconnected from their sexual selves. Women receive messages that their very bodies are inherently dirty or dangerous, capable of luring men into sin. And men receive messages that their minds are inherently dirty or dangerous, that they cannot control their sinful impulses. Furthermore, LGBT people are sometimes told that their entire existence is sinful and sexually deviant. This is a quote from a book that I really like by Linda K. Klein. And she is talking about her experience in the evangelical community and how purity culture is such a unique concept within that community and within Christianity. What other sin is said to fundamentally change you forever? You can be born again and have your slate wiped clean of lying, stealing, even murder. But sex outside of marriage is the only sin that I have ever heard described as changing you. Before sex, you are a virgin. After sex, well. I've got another quote for you on this slide, and this time I'd like to shake things up by starting with it. This is taken from Marlene Winnell's website. And it's a quote from someone who was really struggling with that concept of embodied memories and sin. He said, I feel like much of my life was lived in fear. I am reading all I can to continue to find peace from what I've been taught. I still fear and I'm 65. The concept of sin is immensely powerful because it's a combination of two concepts, guilt and shame. Guilt is about our actions and sometimes can prompt us to change our behavior. It can be positive even when it doesn't feel good. But shame, on the other hand, has nothing to do with changing our behavior. Instead, 
It carries a message that you are irredeemably bad as a person. While many faiths offer methods of salvation through prayer, confession, or other rituals, some also teach that we are always sinners, no matter how much we repent. Some religions even teach that we are born sinners and are fundamentally bad from the moment we exit the womb. This can leave an imprint of shame or a sense that your core identity is bad. Shame is incredibly stubborn. It has a bad habit of sticking around, even after you've discarded the beliefs that created it in the first place. A pervasive, nagging, or overwhelming sense of fear often accompanies concerns about sin. The eternal punishments of going to hell or missing the rapture often strike fear in people's hearts, even as they no longer believe in them. This can be very frustrating, and it is a really confusing manifestation of embodied memories. Religious trauma can take many forms, and some of the most common themes that arise, as we discussed, are existential crises, social alienation, and embodied memories around the concepts of purity and sin. And we've just scratched the surface here of this incredibly multifaceted and complex form of trauma. Maybe you've heard some of your own experiences in this presentation and are wondering where to go from here. I think that as atheists, humanists, agnostics, we have a strong appreciation for the power of human relationships. The empathy and sense of solidarity that support groups provide is so important to understanding and healing from this kind of trauma. I'm really encouraged that many of you here today already belong to one. I would also encourage everyone here today to tell your story to your support group, to your trusted friend, or maybe to someone who might be going through something similar and feeling alone in their experiences. Telling your story is a powerful tool that can help you make sense of your experiences and to feel less alone. It also helps to make some of these issues more visible, bringing to light things that don't often get talked about. And I would add that listening to other people's stories is just as powerful. You may hear things in those stories that at first you think, oh, this has nothing to do with me. But as you listen, you find something there that really rings true to you or gives you a glimpse into what it's like for another person going through something similar. Of course, the deeply personal nature of religious trauma can make it really challenging to talk about, even with close friends. If you're looking for a safe, non-judgmental place to explore some of this, counseling can be a great resource. The last thing I would recommend is reading. Sometimes you find out things reading about religious trauma or people who have recovered from religious trauma that might ring true to your own story as well. And finally, I'd like to share some of the resources that I drew upon for this presentation. I would really recommend taking a look at Marlene Winnell's website as a great starting place if you're interested in doing any further reading on this. And I would also recommend Linda K. Klein's book, Pura, for more on purity culture in particular. And that's all for me. I've included my contact information here in case 
after the question and answer section, you have any more questions, please feel free to contact me at my email or my number or to check out my website. And thank you so much for having me here today.